Um, okay, so if you have any questions, feel free to talk to me, email me, uh, but that's that. On that note, um, which is interesting, but uh, this is actually the two-year anniversary of uh, Will and Coley's death. Uh, whew, I knew I was going to do this. Uh, uh, aha. All right, I'm going to get the picture out of there. Uh, Will and Coley, um, they tragically died in a car accident two years ago to today. I don't cry for Will and Coley. I miss them, yes. Um, but I mourn for their sons. And so if you know James or Liam, uh, if you have their number or their email, uh, I would love for you to shoot them an email, a text, and just say, hey, praying for you today. Um, I know that after my father passed away, it meant the world. Um, and so I was chatting with them last night, and I know that they would appreciate uh, any kind of uh, thing. And so anyways, uh, Will, though, he was like our security team. And so that's why it's just always, it was kind of fitting to talk about that today. So uh, again, if you got James or Liam's uh, email, or if you, if you want it, maybe like, I don't know them, but I'd love to, I mean, I'll, I can give their emails. Okay, quick recap of where we've been in Hosea. This is, again, week seven. Uh, and so uh, we're gonna fly through six weeks and I don't wanna spend a lot of time uh, on this. And yet uh, it's important to just kind of remember where we've been uh, in Hosea. It starts off, we've read this verse every single week. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And we talked about this idea of prophetic performance art, that Hosea is actually physically going to do something that's going to represent God's relationship with Israel. So he says, I want you to actually physically marry a woman that's going to represent my relationship, God's relationship with his people. And I want you to marry this promiscuous woman. And I want you to have children, real children that are going to be called uh, Jezreel, which just means death and blood. It was a location that was just negative. Um, and then not loved and not my people. But these kids were walking around. And then we're going to see God is going to change that. And then last week, looking at um, uh, this idolatry, heart idolatry of worshiping these false gods by making sacrifices, right? We talked about tasty raisin cakes, which Jeremiah uh, brought some for all of us to commit idolatry with together in the uh, fireside room uh, after, after church today. And I, 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 was, I lied to all of you last week. I said, it's called the fireside room, but there's no fireplace in there. There is a fireplace in there. Uh, we've been doing, we've been going to that room for four years and there's always been a table in front of the fireplace. And for whatever reason, it wasn't there last week. Sure enough, there is a fireplace in the fireside room. So it is fitting. So um, anyways, we'll, we'll hang on there after, afterwards. So let's get into this week's uh, sermon. But wait, there's more, right? If you remember those infomercials. Um, and because the thing is, why do we get 11 more chapters, right? This is week seven. We've, we've slowly walking, uh, been walking through Hosea. And there's a reason why we do this. A lot of people would say, man, I really want to, why don't you preach a sermon on, on how to help my marriage or how to raise my kids or how to file my taxes or whatever it may be, right? I, I need something that's going to speak to me, right? Why don't, you, why don't you pick something out of the Bible? It's a big book, but there's, there's maybe more uh, topics that might be more pertaining to our, our times, our culture, our lives right now. Because when we walk through a text, walk through a book, the way that we've been walking through Hosea, and there are, there are times, it's called topical, where we'll, we'll pick a topic. We do that. Um, from time to time, but when we walk through a book slowly, uh, it teaches us all, all of us, how to dig into scripture. Uh, I get so much out of reading the Bible this way and teaching this way. Uh, I've never preached to Hosea. So be able to, to slowly slow down and think about what did, what did God actually mean to the Israelites and what, why Hosea? Um, and, but then topics come up when you go through a book that I might never want to preach on. 
uh, I don't know, I wouldn't normally want to say the word whoredom as much as Hosea says it, right? And so to be able to actually walk through this book, it opens up different categories that I might not actually ever do. So why do we have 11 more chapters? And uh, uh, so I'll ask this question. Did you, did you have a, a least favorite chore growing up? Uh, we had a lot of chores, you know, we had the chart and I remember we, we, we had an allowance, um, but it, was, uh, it wasn't until later on that we started getting allowance. But my brother, he always got $5. My sister got $4, and I got $3. And even as we got older, that never changed. Like, like I, never, I never got a raise. You know, it was just like, no, if you're the youngest, you get $3. You know, like, I, that doesn't make any sense, right? Um, where we had all these chores. We had a cat, you know, so to clean the litter box. You know, we had to do the dishes, take the garbage out. That was the best one. Because uh, it was, took two seconds to do, you know, but we still complained and whined about it, of course. Um, but for me, the worst one was just cleaning my room. Cleaning my room, picking up my room was the worst because I would just trash it. I mean, it was just stuff everywhere. Uh, my wife is up in the nursery because she'd be like, well, that hasn't changed much uh, over the years. Uh, but it would just be a mess. And my mom would always say, go, go pick up your room, go pick up your room. And I hated it. And I remember when I was really young one day, I went in there after she told me to go, go, go pick up your room. And I went in there and I was really tired and it was like, I don't wanna pick up my room, but I, I, I laid down in the bed and I fell asleep and I had a very vivid dream about picking up my room. And then I woke up and then I actually had to do it again. It was like, I mean, I still, it seared into my brain. It was a horrible day, right? I had to clean my room twice. Uh, it was awful. Uh, but my mom used to do this thing where she would say, pick up your room. And then I was a smart aleck, so I would go into my room and I would wait, I'd play, you know, turn the Nintendo on or whatever, I'd be playing with my toys. And then I'd hear her coming and she'd, she'd open the door and I would run up to my bed and be like, oh, I can't pick up my everything in my room, ma. Right, um, and I know my sons are gonna do the exact same, same thing. Um, here's, here's why I bring all this up. Because my mom, uh, when she would say, go pick up your room, and she knew me, uh, that she, would, she couldn't just say, go pick up your room. Because I would always find some, some smart aleck response. So instead, she'd say, Brian, I need you to go pick up your room. And I go, okay, fine. And she'd go, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to take all your laundry and I want you to put it in the hamper. Yeah, yeah, ma, I know. No, 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 no. And then I want you to put all your toys where they need to go. Ma, I, you said pick up your room. No, no, I'm not finished. And then I want you to, right, and she would go on this, this list over and over and over. And it's like, ma, I get it. I understand, right? And that's exactly what Hosea is doing over and over and over, right? What is prophecy about? And why does it seem to say the same thing over and over? Because the Israelites, just like us, we don't get it. And we have to hear the same message over and over. Uh, one one uh, quote here from a commentary just about prophecy, specifically in Hosea. The prophet's ministry serves as a way to show Israel and the reader that the types and shadows of the Old Testament are not the realities. The realities have much more to do with the spiritual renewal uh, on more cosmic levels and are yet to come through the work of a suffering servant. So in Hosea, he's a suffering servant. He's working on behalf of God, uh, living in a certain way, but saying, but it's, there's something else that's coming, something greater. They, the prophets, speak 
may be primarily about a return to the land, which keeps with the pattern of the return shown repeatedly throughout the biblical story. Abraham, Jacob, Israel, Ruth, Judah, etc. And you're like, I don't know who those people are. It's okay. Well, we're gonna walk through this. Yet the return fails to live up to its predicted glory. God says, you're gonna to go to this promised land. You're gonna to go to Canaan. You're gonna take it over to me. This land filled with milk and honey, right? Just bountiful blessings. And then they get there, but they commit idolatry and they reject God who brought them there in the first place. And so even though they're in the land and the promises of God are being fulfilled, it's still not there. They don't feel at ease. They don't feel satisfied. So even though it, it doesn't live up to its predicted glory, which drives the story ahead yet again to another return of greater significance when God will one day return us from the exile of death that we're experiencing, experiencing to give us a portion of the land in himself. It's a spiritual reality. So what I wanna do today is, is kind of take this idea, these quotes of looking at what, is, what happened with Hosea and what is the, the current reality. Uh, there are two whole chapters that we're gonna get through today. I'm not gonna read them all. We're not gonna slowly walk through it the way we normally would. Uh, and that'll be true through the rest of the, of the, of the book. Um, but I wanted to just kind of pick a few things here and look at, okay, here is the issue that's going on with Hosea. And now how does this apply? What does this mean actually to me? And so there's gonna be multiple problems of sin addressed in Hosea, uh, right? That's gonna come up over again. Pick up your laundry, pick up your toys, do your bed, right? All that, that's exactly what Hosea is gonna be doing over and over and over again. And so every week, uh, one of the big things that, that anyone who's preaching up here does is we say, is Jesus the hero of the story and is the, is the gospel the answer to the problem? And a lot of times it's easy to make Jesus the hero of the story because the whole book, the entire Bible is all about Jesus and the gospel is the answer to my problem. What's sometimes the most difficult is, does this text actually point out a problem? What is the sin that's being addressed in this text? And how is it that the gospel and Jesus is the answer? And so what I wanna do this week is look at what is the, the sin problem, right? The problem of sin and how Jesus is the answer to the problem. And so we're gonna have two columns. One is the sin problem that we're gonna see from Hosea and then the answer, the gospel answer in Jesus and how that then applies to us. And so we've got just four of these aspects that we're gonna look in Hosea. Uh, I would encourage you, feel free to read through Hosea 4 and 5 on your own time. It'll only take a couple minutes, um, but just for time's sake, I'm not gonna read through uh, all of those uh, passages. So let's look at the first one. Bloodshed on earth and on the earth, physical on the earth. So this is starting in Hosea chapter 4. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can follow along if you have an app, uh, but I will have all the scripture today up on the, up on the screens. Uh, we read from the NIV, but it doesn't really matter what you're reading from. So Hosea chapter 4. One through three. Again, looking at bloodshed on the earth, uh, Hosea says this. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. The earth is broken. The problem is broken that we just kill and wound and we don't heal. We don't, there's nothing good in our body that it's just bad, it's broken. Verse three, because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea are swept away. 
And so what we can see is that, yes, there's blood shed on the earth, but then we see Jesus and Jesus sheds his blood for earth's freedom. And there's kind of, I have a double, I want to say double entendre. I don't think that's the right word in the right usage, but maybe it is. But when I say earth, I mean, it's, I'm using it in two different ways. I mean, the physical earth, the globe, the cosmos, right? That the actual physical earth and the, and the animal kingdom and the, and, and, and the, you know, plants and all that stuff. And then also the people that Jesus died for all the people, but yet this earth is going to be redeemed as well. It's going to go back to the way that it was when God created it, good, without sin, without being broken, full harmony. And so we can read this in Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. They're innocent in this, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought to the freedom and glory of the children of God. That Jesus came to save those who are lost, to redeem them, to, to buy them back from their decay. There's, there's sinfulness into freedom that they can have in Christ. But the earth is also waiting for that day when God will make all things new. Continuing here, the apostle says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, Angela and I on Friday, we went and saw Jim Gaffigan downtown. It was a lot of fun. Um, but if you, if you know Jim Gaffigan and if you know like his comedy, maybe you don't, that's fine. Um, he he kind of makes fun of his own body, you know, a lot. A lot of it, and he had this kind of ongoing joke that age just kind of slaps you in the face, right? As you get older of like, I don't think I'm old. And then every once in a while, just, you know, something slaps you in the face. Um, and, uh, you know, I mentioned, you know, Tommy Boy and people are like, who, what is, who's Tommy Boy? I don't get it. You sinners, okay? Uh, that's what I think. Uh, <laughs> Uh, right? You get slapped in the face and that's how it is. We have these bodies that are broken, right? I go to bed and I wake up and I'm, I hurt myself somehow, right? How is that? How? I literally am sleeping. I can no, I cannot do any more least strenuous activity and somehow I hurt my neck. How is this possible, right? We wait for our bodies to be made new for in this hope, the hope in Christ, in his salvation, in his redemption, we're saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The apostle Paul later on says that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That we live on this earth. Yes, it's broken. Yes, it, there, there's pain and suffering. And yet we're here to be able to preach, to proclaim the goodness of Christ who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. That's what we get to do. And so we wait for that patiently. Not in any rush to get out of here, uh, I want to be here as long as I can, and yet I want Jesus to make it right. I want him to fix it. I want him to end the suffering, but we wait patiently. So that's the first one is bloodshed on the earth, and then Jesus sheds his blood for earth's freedom. The second one is accusing one another. And we see this from this passage of, of pointing out other people's flaws. Hosea says this in verse four, just the next verse from chapter four that we were reading but let no one bring a charge and let no one accuse another for you are people, for, you, for your people are like those who bring charges against the priest. Let me explain uh, what's happening here. This, uh, this isn't like, uh, 
I think in our, in our culture, we have an idea of a priest or a pastor. What the Hosea is not saying is that you can't bring a charge against a pastor or a priest. No, wrong. Uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy make it very clear that the priests are under the highest order of the law, that they are held to a different level of accountability and should be accountable to one another. This idea though of this priest is a judge, if you think of that, of, of a verdict that's made and to say, nope, I know you, you made that judgment. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to accuse you. I'm going I'm to disagree with you. And then, then, and then problems ensue. This idea, though, of accusing one another is unwarranted. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. It's one of the, one of the most overquoted verses, or, and everyone quotes it in the King James. Judge not lest you be judged, right? And then but people say that all the time. Uh, Paul had a really good idea that maybe next summer we're going to do a series on uh, verses taken out of context, right? Uh, which I think would be a lot of fun. And this, would, this, one will, this one will be at the top of the list. Judge not that you be neither. You can't judge me, right? Who are you to judge me? Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Let's keep reading. Verse two, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Jesus here is making it very clear. He's using an, an, an exorbitant, ridiculous example. If I've got a beam, a log in my own eye, how dare I go and go up to my, my, my brother? This is, again, he's, he's talking to disciples. This is somebody within my, my body or my congregation that I love and care for. And I, there's, there's a, some kind of sin problem or they're, they're doing something. And I go, and I look, and I go, hey, you got, you got this little thing going on in your, in your, in your life. Uh, and yet I've got this beam sticking out of my own eye, right? It's, it's a ridiculous example. But he, what the point here that Jesus is getting at is saying, you hypocrite, <laughs> First take the log out of your own eye and then you can see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not saying don't, don't point out each other's faults. We can look at plenty of passages of scripture that talk to us and say, hey, go to your brother or sister if they're in sin. Confront them, right? Talk to them, point things out. But it's saying, don't be a hypocrite. If I've got all these skeletons in my closet, how dare I go up to someone and say, mm, yeah, you got this thing going on in your life. I remember, I remember in high school, I did that. Uh, I walked by a car and I heard, I heard, I heard the bass. Boom, boom, boom. And I was like, sinner, uh, right? Uh, knocked, knocked on the window. Hey, roll it down, you know, and <laughs> right, they roll it down. And I'm like, what are you listening to, right? And then, uh, and then they were like, judge, don't judge me, man. You did that thing the other day. And it's like, you're right, I gotta confess, right? I just, this is it, right? That, we, ha that we, ha we gotta pull the log out of our own eye, that we have to self-examine our hearts and don't be a hypocrite. There's so much hypocrisy that goes on and it's rampant in the church uh, and in our own lives. This is what Jesus is saying. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just accusing one another. It's not, let's not be a hypocrite, but we see ultimately that Jesus wins the victory over the accuser. I'm gonna look at a, a Revelation chapter 12. And there's a lot going on in this book and, uh, you know, it's, it's a apocalyptic language. It's, it's kind of fanciful. And yet there's a lot of good truths uh, that happened from this book. This is Revelation chapter 12, uh, starting in verse seven. It says, now war arose in heaven and Michael, uh, the archangel and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, that is this dragon was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
Verse nine, and the great dragon was thrown down. Okay, you may, if maybe you've seen it on TikTok uh, or Facebook or wherever, that people are like, uh, Satan is actually an invention of the Protestants. Now we, when we look in the Hebrew and it's Satan and it's, and it's this accuser. And I don't know, if, when we read Job, is it actually the devil or Lucifer? That's, that's an invention of the Protestants. Well, it was an invention then of John and all of scripture. Uh, because it's all over the place in Scripture, and the, and the Apostle John here makes it very clear. Hey, we're not going to argue about this anymore. Verse 9, and that great dragon was thrown down. In case you don't know who the dragon is, it's that ancient serpent who was in the garden tempting Eve. And in case you don't know who that is, who is called the devil and Satan. Well, in case you don't know who that is, just to be clear, whatever name you got for this guy, it's the, he is the deceiver of the whole world. Okay, let's just put that into context, right? Matter of fact, I didn't even need to talk about these verses today. It's just a pet peeve of mine, all right? This is the devil, all right? The devil's real, Satan's real, right? And he's thrown out and he was thrown down to the earth and the angels were thrown down with him. Now to the text that I wanna read, just the next verse, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, his Messiah have come for the accuser, of our brothers has been thrown down. That ancient serpent, the devil, the deceiver of the world has been thrown down. And when does this happen? It happens when Jesus is nailed to the cross and wins victory over death and sin. And so our accuser, the devil, looks at Pastor Brian and says, hey, remember that time you mistreated your wife? Remember that time when you yelled at your kids uncontrollably? Jesus, he's, he's a follower of you. And then Jesus comes around and he says, uh, yes because I died for this guy. You can't accuse him anymore. Done. And so why should we accuse one another, get the hypocrisy out of our life, and then point out one another's sins? Because the accuser has been destroyed. And they have, conquered, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is what conquers all. And by the word of their testimony, for they love not their own lives, even unto death. Moving on. The other sin problem that we see is worshiping the creation, idolatry. And again, if you've been here walking through Hosea, it's like, man, idolatry again? Yes, I want you to pick up your laundry and then I want you to make your bed. It's exactly what Hosea is doing here. Idolatry again and again and again. So in Hosea chapter four, looking at verse 13, they sacrifice in the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and the tenebrith, because their, their shade is good. And not trying to read into this, but all the commentaries, when you're looking at this, they, they, again, worshiping this Asherah, uh, this, this goddess, uh, was very sexual. And now it's the, that's, there's a lot of sexual innuendos happening here, okay? Therefore, your daughters play the whore, and your brides commit adultery, and I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cold prostitutes. That's this Asherah. And the people without understanding shall come to ruin. So we see this aspect in Hosea of worshiping the creation, idolatry, that happens over and over. But then what we see is that Jesus is the creator, that we reject God, the creator, and we start worshiping a created thing. So Paul says in Romans chapter one. But I wanna look at John chapter four and I wanna look at Jesus. This is a passage where it's called the, the woman at the well uh, or Jesus and the Samaritan woman. 
Uh, maybe you might, may have heard that story, maybe not, we'll, we'll read it. But in context, what happens is Jesus goes out of his way. It's the middle of the day and he goes to this well and there's this woman there who shouldn't be there. Normally women would go in the morning because it was cooler, they'd get the water and they'd go home, but she wouldn't do that because she was an outcast. So he goes up and he sees this woman, he dismisses his disciples, they go to get some food and he goes up to her and says, uh, you know, why, you know, they had this conversation. And, and then she start, he starts t- saying all these different things. And, and he says, why don't you go get your husband? And then she says, oh, I'm not married. And then he says, that's right. You've answered correctly. You're not married, but you have been married multiple times. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. So here we go. Pick it up in verse 19. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yes, winner, winner, chicken dinner. That is correct. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. So I'm not going to get into the history between Samaria and, 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 the, and Jerusalem or, or the Jews, uh, but they hated each other uh, for, for, <laughs> for some good reasons when you look at the history, but they hated each other. And so they weren't allowed to go to Jerusalem to worship, so they had to establish their own mountain. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. That's not an insult. It's just saying that the Jews are the chosen people of God. He revealed himself to them. He gave us the scripture. He says, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. And here's where he says, and is now here. When everything you think you know about religion you got to go to some space. You got to go to a building, some temple or some mountain to worship God. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I don't have to go to a, to a place and, and when Jesus dies on the cross, we're told that this veil in the temple, thick, six, five or six inches thick, rips 40 some feet tall, rips from top to bottom. Why? Inside, beyond that veil was the Holy of Holies, there's an Ark of the Covenant. And only one day a year could the, could the high priest on the Day of Atonement go into that space and make a sacrifice. But what happens? Jesus dies and that veil is torn, saying no longer do you have to go to this mountain or that mountain. This is gonna be ripped open by the blood of Christ and now I'm gonna evade all the space. So now you don't worship me by going to a space, you worship me in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine the, the joy, the confusion? And that's what happens. She, she gets so excited and she just runs back to town telling everyone, I don't care, I'm, 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 you're ashamed of me and all my guilt, I've talked to Jesus. I've talked to the Messiah, the one who's gonna take my sins away. And Jesus looks at her and says, I'm offering you freedom from idolatry, freedom from worshiping the creation. And we can get specific and we can try to, to name things. We can say, you worship alcohol, but I'm gonna offer you a sober mind that's led by the spirit of God. Not some spirit in a bottle. See what I did there? Fair. You worship sex, 
in your singleness or maybe your marriage, I'm offering you freedom from being controlled by your sexuality or your sexual desires. And I offer you total satisfaction that makes no worldly sense. And yet, I'm gonna call that a, a fruit. I'm gonna get into this. What is the root that causes all sin? Uh, the fruit, what we see in our lives, what comes out, that's what I mean by fruit. It could be alcoholism, uh, could be anger, could be timidity, could be anything, fill in the blank, right? It's something that we can see, that other people see. Uh, they hear, they taste it, they, they, they can touch this thing that comes out of me, but is that the root? I remember in college, uh, I went to a Christian university in Wisconsin. Well, it was a college, but they since changed it to university to be cool. Um, and uh, I was at this, at this college, and, and I, I don't remember the class. I don't remember the professor's name, but it was a small class. must have been junior or senior. I don't even know what we were talking about. But there was this girl in the class, a uh, nice young girl, and uh, she, she said, oh, that's like a root fruit. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, my, my analytical brain is going, a root fruit. What is a root fruit? There are no root fruit. You know what I mean? There's no fruit that is a root, right? There's vegetables, there's potatoes and carrots and starches. So, right, so I'm, I'm going through this and I'm getting kind of confused and she's still talking about root fruit and I'm still confused and my best friend was sitting in front of me and all he did, right, he just did one of these where he just looked over his shoulder at me and I lost it lost control, right? You know what it's like when you're in a place where it's supposed to be serious and you just can't, right? And so I'm holding it back. I've got my nose plugged. I'm trying so hard not to laugh. And then, and then instead of like, now it's a huge snort that comes out, right? Like it's just, and I'm laughing uncontrollably and I felt terrible, but I couldn't stop laughing. And she looks back at me like, you're kind of being mean right now. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's not you, it's me and my brain. And I'd finally get control and I'd see my buddy's shoulders just move and then boom, done. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it, right? So root fruit, think of this, right? So hopefully that, hopefully that sticks with you because it doesn't make any sense. But uh, John Owen, uh, he talks, he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. And, and, and he, he says this about this, let no man pretend to fear sin that does not fear temptation also. Temptation is not a sin. It is not a sin to be tempted by something. It's a sin to give into it. But John Owen here is saying, don't, don't mess around with it. If you know you're going to be tempted, don't flirt with it. Let no man pretend to fear sin that does not fear the temptation also. These two are too closely united to be separated. He does not truly hate the fruit who delights in the root. Okay, now he uses it the right way. All right, it's not a root fruit. It's a fruit and a root, Okay. What's he saying? I can't say I hate gossip without saying I'm okay with idolatry though. I, I hate that. I hate what it does to people. I hate how it makes people look, but then I don't deal with the root. That's what Owen's getting at. So uh, I want to walk through this. I did this last week, uh, but looked at this book, little booklet, the small group little thing um, called The Gospel-Centered Life by Bob Thune. And this is what he's talking specifically about gossip. And I know it's small, but it says, here are some common heart idols that can manifest themselves on the surface, surface sin of gossip, right? Meaning in our context, fruit. Right? This is the fruit that people can see of gossip. The idol of approval. 
I want the approval of the people I'm talking to. Maybe it's the idol of control, using gossip as a way to manipulate or control others. The idol of reputation. I want to feel important, so I cut someone else down verbally. The idol of success. Someone is succeeding and I'm not, so I want to gossip about them. Right? That's the fruit. We, we, we see that. We hear that. And if you've ever worked anywhere in the public sphere, we know that this is true. This happened. We've, we've been guilty of this. But again, it's not just saying, oh, I got to repent of that gossip. What's going on deeper? The idol of security, talking about others makes my own, uh, makes my own insecurity. Makes my own. Oh, masks, sorry. Uh, <laughs> talking about others masks my own insecurity. The idol of pleasure, someone else is enjoying life and I'm not, so I attack her. The idol of knowledge, talking about people is a way of, of showing I know more. The idol of recognition, talking about others gets people to notice me. The idol of respect, that person disrespected me, so I'm going to respect, disrespect him. And this can go on and on and on. And this is just one little thing. This is just maybe gossip, but when we think about my thing, the thing, what is this fruit that I see? We got to go after the root. We got to attack the root. So that's Jesus as creator. So the, the next, the last one that I want to dig into is we do not acknowledge the Lord. Looking at Hosea chapter four, or excuse me, going to Hosea five now, looking at verse four. It says this, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart and they do not acknowledge the Lord. That same exact phrase, they do not acknowledge the Lord was used in, in verse one of chapter four. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. When they go to their flocks and herds, they seek the Lord, but they will not find me. He has withdrawn himself from them. There's a sin problem that they, that we, do not acknowledge the Lord, but we can see that Jesus justifies us by his grace, that he allows us by his gift of salvation and his blood to actually acknowledge God, to approach God. And we see this in Titus chapter three. We're starting in verse three. It says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That's, that's us. Right? We're, we're so quick, again, to point out that speck in someone's own eye, and we don't inwardly look and say, what do I need to confess? What is the root that I got to chop? Not just pluck a fruit and throw it away. I got to chop this tree of sin down. This is me. Not your spouse, not your roommate, not your friend, not your mom, not your dad, not your brother. This is you. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of any righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing and the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Only Christ who saves us, that allows us to live in a way that is free from sin and death, spiritually speaking, in Christ, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So I want to close in, in application here. I want to talk about this a little bit before we get into communion. But an application, what is the root fruit that God wants you to kill? But again, we can X out fruit. What's the root that God 
wants you to kill, right? The mortification of sin. John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We gotta kill it. The problem is if we leave it here, killing sin can quickly turn into law. Killing sin can quickly turn into, all right, I have a problem with gossip or maybe I'll use me for real. I have struggled with anger, outbursts, whatever it may be. Is that a fruit? We'll talk about that later, right? That might be a root, maybe not. Probably something else going on. Right, but I struggle with anger and, and these, these, these things, right, that just of, of, of comfort, I think maybe is probably a root. I struggle with this. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna set an alarm on my phone to go off every 20 minutes and just say, breathe, calm down, All right? That goes off every 20 minutes. And I could be upset. I could be feeling uh, anxiety or whatever it may be. And my phone goes off. And it's like, breathe, calm down. I'm like, okay, just calm, calm down, right? And it turns into law. Because no matter what it is that you're thinking, and maybe what the Holy Spirit's brought to mind, you will inevitably find out that you will fall again. You will sin again, no matter how many accountability partners you have, no matter how many uh, checks and balances you have on on internet or the web or, or on your phone, whatever it may be, you will inevitably find out that you will sin again. And I cannot kill this thing on my own. Can't do it. So I think a better application be what is the fruit, the root fruit, the root that God wants to kill with you, that we're in tandem with this. There's a human responsibility to acknowledge my sin, to fight temptation, to go after that sin, to kill it. And yet I do this with God's help. I uh, often say that I grew up, I grew up in the church and kind of a different flavor of Christianity, if you will. But I always say that I grew up with an anemic gospel. If you know somebody who's been anemic, my brother uh, struggled with that for a long time. Uh, they just get weak very quick. There's no, there's no power. I grew up with an anemic gospel because I relied on the law. And a lot of times I relied on my own doing, my own flesh to help fight my flesh. <laughs> and it doesn't work. I never relied on the spirit, the power that we've been given that God has, Jesus said, I gotta, I gotta leave so that the spirit can come and can dwell inside of you and can renew you day by day. I have to rely on that power. So as we enter into a time of communion, which we do every week, uh, there are elements in the, out in the foyer. If you weren't able to grab them, you can feel free to get up and, and grab those as we sing some songs together. Would love for you to participate uh, in that. Uh, You don't need to be a member of this church. All I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. All I would ask is that the Spirit indwells you and helps you fight those sins, that the Spirit points out root sins in your life and exposes them. Because God has promised that if we confess those sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we're offered today. So as we have communion, we get to partake of these elements, the wafer, the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The juice, which represents his blood that was shed for my sin. That we get to remember, we get to taste and see that he is good. And we get to do this together. We get to look around and see other people opening this cup and drinking this blood and and eating this bread and saying, we are the family of God. And we're not in this alone. And so maybe I'm struggling with this thing. We get to do that together. I've said it once, I've said it a million times that my relationship with Christ 
is, is a personal relationship, but it's never, ever meant to be private. We do this together. We have a community and we do it especially with the spirit of God. Uh, Zach is going to lead in some songs, but he's going to start off with a song, I Need Thee Every Hour. I know I've mentioned this before, but uh, Annie Hawks, the, the author of this, this song, this hymn, uh, she wrote it when she was on a mountaintop. Uh, she was in a good place in her life. But this, this song spread like wildfire. And it became very popular, and she didn't understand why it was so popular. And then her husband died, and she was then all of a sudden in a valley, in a really dark place, doubting God. And then she said, oh, now I see why this song is so popular. And there are times, there are people in here, you might be on a mountaintop, things are going well for you, right? You love Jesus, we're, we're doing well, but I need to remember, I need Jesus every hour. And when I'm in that low spot and I'm really struggling with sin and I can't fight it, I can't kill it, and I'm sick of fighting it, you need Jesus every hour. So as we partake of these elements, let's remember that, let's remember what Christ has done for us. Let's pray and then we will sing together. Father, our heavenly Father, you are holy, you are separate from us, you are above us, your ways are not our ways, and yet you sent your son to become like us, to take on flesh and then to die for my sin that you're not so separate and so other that you don't care for me. And you didn't just redeem me. You didn't just save me. You want me and you come alongside me and help me fight sin. And I know I'm gonna fall. I know I'm gonna fail. I know I'm gonna sin with the same struggles that I've been struggling with for a long time. So God, I pray that the power of your spirit would help us would encourage us, would strengthen us to help us fight sin, to expose those roots and to chop them up so that you would get the honor and that you would get the glory. Because without you, we're, we're hopeless. So God, I pray now as we sing these songs, as we partake of these elements, that you'd be honored and glorified. And it is in your son's most precious name, Jesus, that we can even approach you, that we can pray to you. So God, I thank you for him. And it's in Christ's name that we do pray.